Hi, this is Jen with Bright Families. And today's podcast, I deliberately picked a slightly controversial title, How to Be a Hot Mom. I know this word can be a little bit triggering for people, but hear me out for a minute because that's kind of my point in picking it. When I asked my mom friends, like, how do you feel about the idea of like being like a hot mom? Most of them are like, oh, cool. People who are my age 40-ish. People who are a little older, a little younger, or maybe a little sweeter, had more ambivalent feelings about it. But there's no other word I can think of for having that special kind of sparkle. It's not really about being a certain size. It's more about that spring in your step and that vivacity that you bring with your smile and your gestures and that kind of sparkle in your eye, that energy. But most women bring more of that when they are closer to their ideal size. So we're not going to put a number or size on it, but most of us have kind of a threshold point where we start to feel like we are looking good. We've got it. And those women who still have it will know it because they have people ask them out in the grocery store, even when their children are with them, Uh, which happened to a friend of mine who definitely had it. And so whether you think you want to be a hot mom or not, I've collected all the techniques I could think of that the moms I know use the moms who look good, the moms who get mistaken for their daughters in a lineup, you have to really look and see which one is the mom and which one is the girl because they all look the same. And there is a little part of most of us women who were like, who would think that would be nice. I would love to be able to share clothes with my daughter. I would love it if people couldn't quite tell until they looked who was the mom and who was the daughter when we're all in jeans and t-shirts at the beach. And this has nothing to do with how many kids you've had or really even how old you are. I know moms with 12 kids who were 55 who are just like this. They look, they've looked the same. I mean, apart from being pregnant, apparently they've looked the same for the last 35 years. And they, they look just like their kids. And it seems to come down to maybe a little bit of genetic luck but mostly your habits and your mindset and how much sleep you're able to get and a few other factors that we're going to discuss. So, obviously, the very first thing, very most fundamental thing in how you're presenting yourself and how you come across the world is your attitude. That warmth and energy that you're bringing to conversations And the smile is the hugest part of attractiveness in most people, but maybe especially for women. And I always emphasize this in the girls' health class because sometimes the girls are like, I want to be thinner or I want to be curvier. I want to be more of the... I said, you know what? (laughs) I guarantee you, nobody is critiquing you the way you are critiquing yourself. And when guys are honest, they'll usually tell you that within a certain normal-ish size range, the, the warmth 
and the friendliness of the girl is a big, big factor in how attractive she is. So that general demeanor, uh, when you see people who are very physically expressive and they're using their hands when they talk, uh, I don't know whether that's your style or not, but that's one of those kind of signs of that vivacity that is so charming and just so fun to talk with when you feel like the person is really all there. They're right there in the moment with you. And that's a really special thing that we bring to the world when we're feeling well, when we're feeling fresh and rested, when we've taken our vitamins, we've drunk our water, and we're feeling physically okay to good. And we don't have a headache or general fatigue kind of bringing us down to where we can't be present for people in the same way. So that's huge. It's great. We can't all have it every day, but the more things you do, the more you're going to have this. And then of course, secondly, and especially as we get older, presentation matters, right? You've got your clothes, you need a bra that fits, not an old bra. You need, yeah, you need a bra that fits and has the appropriate level of support so that because then you just look younger, you need to stand up straight or as straight as you can. And for me, earrings and mascara are kind of the baseline looking put together things because I'm blonde, so my lashes bleach out on the end. Uh, if I had dark eyelashes, it probably wouldn't be such a deciding factor, but mascara definitely makes me look more awake. So mascara and earrings seem to be the thing. Whatever they are for you, <laughs> you just try to make it happen. And I do love my old clothes and I kind of struggle between comfort and fashion. And I tend to land on the boring side of, of comfortable kind of classic basic clothes. So for me, the main factor has been knowing which colors and which cuts of shirt, for instance, look good. I have broad shoulders. I have to take that into consideration when I'm shopping and I often wear dark colors on top. And I have to wear things that don't make my shoulders look any broader than they are. And things that, you know, fit well around my shoulders. So that's kind of the key factor for me. And whatever the key factors are for you, even if you're shopping at the thrift store, you will still be able to find things that work. If you put in, you know, an hour here and there while your kids are in an activity, you should be able to find something that works. Uh, as long as you go into it knowing what you like and knowing what colors you're looking for. And of course, a lot of them are organized by color, which is helpful. And it's also helpful if you have friends who swap clothes with you at intervals so that you get something fresh and you didn't necessarily have to take the time or the money to shop for it. And those little touches of the earrings or the jewelry or if you have nice hands painting your nails, those really add to your feeling of being put together and then of course how you present yourself to the world. Now the next part of maintaining attractiveness is not food, it's not exercise, it is boundaries. How do you hold time and space so that you are able to get a reasonable amount of sleep most of the time 
get some kind of rest time during the day where you lay down and lower your cortisol and reset your mood probably and also preserving some time for some sort of physical movement at different points of your life and pregnancy and postpartum you're going to have different amounts of energy for different amounts of exercise or even no exercise and maybe just a little bit of stretching but the really important thing is to do whatever kind of exercise matches your energy level and your physical needs at that point. So if you have the habit of setting aside time and your children are in the habit of letting you have the time, then whatever you need to do with that time, you will be able to do it. But when I'm not exercising, it's because I get sucked into every little thing with the kids and don't just say, okay, mom's going to take a break. But most of us can do that at some point during the day as long as we're willing. But we tend to get immersed in all the little to-dos and wanting them done right and feeling that we ought to do them and help people and supervise and manage and everything will fall apart if I leave. And to some extent, some things probably will fall through the cracks when you leave. But if the, if the result of you being there all the time is that you never get time to exercise and you're doing emotional eating and you're carrying 20 extra pounds and none of your clothes fit and you're super frustrated, it would be better to let a couple things fall through the cracks. It'd be better if a couple things were done less well. So whatever those shortcuts are for you, whether it's cleaning slightly less often, whether it's giving a kid the toddler to watch while you take a walk, the toddler that's a danger magnet, instead of making that kid, you know, do the dishes or something. There are ways, in almost every case, there are ways to get the time. If you have all little kids, it's particularly challenging, but there are still ways to exercise or get some time to yourself by creating a safe area for them to play in or swapping kid watching with a friend, meeting somebody at the park and all the kids are happy and you take a walk around the block and then she takes a walk around the block, getting a membership at the YMCA or someplace that has the kids club and you take the kids you know, if you're worried about their immune systems, you take them when it's not very busy, give them elderberry zinc gummies before you show up, let them play, you get an hour or two to yourself. There are ways. And so mostly you have to be willing to use them. And in many cases, when I talk to women who aren't getting naps, they aren't getting any time to stretch or take a walk around the block. It's not that there's literally no time. It's not that their husband couldn't watch the kids for 20 minutes. It's not that any children would die while there's a movie on and the husband's. It's just that they are unwilling to make concessions. They don't want to turn on the movie for the kids. They don't want to ask the husband because they don't like how he does it. Um, they want to clean the house while the kids are napping instead of 
doing something restful like reading or stretching or taking a walk around the block. And if you are genuinely happy to have a clean house and you don't care that you're 20 pounds heavier, that is your choice. But if you're calling me because you can't figure out how to lose the 20 pounds and or even 5 or 10 pounds and then you tell me that you do not lay down when your kids nap and you do not exercise while your kids nap but instead you do everything like clean the house that you probably could have done when they were awake but you just enjoy doing it alone well that's a choice that's a choice and so the moms I know who have maintained their fitness and that energy through six or eight or 10 or 12 kids, they have systems in place where the kids know mom is just going to be gone. Mom's going to be gone for half an hour or 45 minutes or mom walks on the treadmill before she even comes down for breakfast. We don't even see mom until it is time to eat breakfast. And they know mom's been awake for an hour and a half. Or, you know, when it's nap time and the babies are asleep, no one's allowed to talk and mom is unavailable even though she's available, right? So maybe that's the time you walk on the treadmill. And so there are ways to do it if you are comfortable setting those boundaries. And that is the most important factor is to discover what boundaries are you comfortable setting and then setting them and consistently creating those habits so everyone is used to whatever mom does. And I know people who homeschooled many children and walked or jogged an hour every single day and the kids were just used to that. It was just part of what mom did. They didn't feel neglected. The house did not fall apart. The kids still got educated and mom got to exercise every single day. And the relationships in your life and the house that you are taking care of can take all of the time you have. Like so many things, it just expands to fill the time that you are willing to give it. And relationships are inefficient and messy intrinsically that is just how relationships are and so you know it can feel weird to walk away and you think well maybe I could be talking to my kid right now maybe 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 you could walk with you that kid but also most of us are kinder and more diplomatic and more easygoing or maybe I'm just speaking for myself when we have gotten some space and some movement in our day. Maybe it doesn't have to be a big run, just a walk in the fresh air and the sunshine. All the studies show what a difference it makes for your mood. And if you're gonna have that sticky conversation with your teen and you know it's gonna come, why not be rested and have some exercise before you go into that? So I feel like not exercising in order to, air quotes, spend more time with everybody, it's just kind of a wash. Because if you exercise, if you go get some time and some movement, and then you're back with everybody, you know, 45 minutes later, 
You're a better version of yourself. You're in a good place usually. And so those interactions can be fruitful and nothing was really lost by you being gone if you come back and then have fruitful interactions with your family. And along these lines, another really, really important part of maintaining your mental equilibrium is just managing your own mind. It's a huge challenge as a mom. We have so much on our minds. The stress can get us down. The stress can lead to emotional eating. We worry. We play out dire future scenarios. We look at a kid's saucy attitude and think they're going to be a criminal. And I've done all those things. So just speaking personally, I know how challenging it is as a mom and maybe a kind of natural worry wart to manage my mind and not have that affect my mood and energy level, my willingness to exercise, whether I'm going to do some idle eating and that sort of thing. So noticing your thoughts and choosing something else to think about or a better version of whatever you were already thinking about is really, really helpful. But again, that's easier when you're exercising and getting a little bit of space and time. So next thing is food. And again, I'm going to revisit this question of the emotional aspects of eating because this becomes such a critical question as we get a little older, our metabolisms are a little slower. There's just not much as much metabolic cushion for overdoing it. If you tend to get more moderate over time, you kind of break even on this. And it doesn't really matter if you have kind of a, you know, weekend of enjoying all the things here and there. But it's very easy for moms in middle age when life's a little boring or tedious or overwhelming to find that food becomes their go-to treat. It's the treat that takes the least amount of time. You don't have to go anywhere. So you go in your pantry and get chocolate or some kind of sweet or some kind of fizzy drink or something. And you weren't really hungry. You were just looking for a special moment. Um, Some of the moms in our health club have described this so eloquently. And so ideally you would have other treats, right? Tea is a good food treat that obviously doesn't have any calories If you can get a cup of tea and sit down and enjoy that in peace. Again, this is something you could train your kids to do. I know someone whose children do not nap, but they do leave her alone for a cup of tea. So she gets these little 10 minute moments. And you don't want eating special foods to be the main way you treat yourself. Unless maybe those special foods are things like salmon, oysters, sardines, super nutritious mom foods, you know, mushroom omelets or something, right? If if lunch is your special treat and you make yourself some super nutritious lunch, it's going to serve a a good purpose. And I do know moms of many kids who eat lunch alone as one way to get a little break from the intensity. Um, but if your idea of a treat is a scone and coffee and that becomes an everyday thing, It may or may not come out in the wash, depending how active you are, depending what other carbohydrates you eat in the course of the day. So you're going to find in most cases that your 
tolerance for carbohydrates will diminish as you get older, um, unless you maintain your muscle mass really well. And so for that reason, you will probably have to be a little more judicious about choosing your foods and particularly your carbohydrates than when you were younger. And so that's just something to keep in mind. It could be that you used to bake every day and then you just go down to baking once or twice a week. Or people sometimes make rules for themselves or systems that say, okay, I have my treats on Sunday and, you know, this one other day. Or I will have a sweet treat with coffee at 3 p.m., but I don't have them in the morning or vice versa. Some people say, oh, I don't eat dessert, but I know my carb tolerance is higher in the morning, especially if I'm nursing a baby or I have didn't eat excessive amounts of dinner. So I'm going to have that piece of cheesecake with my coffee in the morning. And I know people who do this who have lost the baby weight every time, you know, 11, 12 kids, they're having their treat in the morning with coffee because they know from experience that that's when their metabolism can handle it the best. But if they're having it in the evening when they're already tired after they've had a full meal, it's not going to sit as well with them. So Again, this takes just a little bit of mental space to notice these patterns when you feel best, when you don't feel so good, if there are different times of day or different days when you have higher carb tolerance, when you're hungrier. For me, uh, my hungry day is on day four or five of my cycle as my period wraps up and my carb tolerance is distinctly higher if I've done any kind of cardio, but that doesn't happen every day. And it will also be generally higher if I've been doing kind of weight-bearing exercise because your muscles are a huge carb sink. So it is easy to bake a little too much homemade stuff. Uh, Of course, that's way better than buying stuff from the store because you're putting that extra hurdle and it's more nutritious and there's less preservatives. Um, But I had to dial back from making a treat every day or every other day, even though I enjoy baking because I was ending up eating too big a proportion of it for my age and the kids didn't love it enough and I don't have a bunch of boys who are just bottomless food pits. I have girls who just eat kind of regular amounts um, except for a brief growth spurts when they're preteens. Another thing to figure out about food is whether you are more of a moderator or abstainer. I think Gretchen Rubin is one person who's described this, but probably not the only person. So people who are moderators say, you know, I'll just, I'll stop before I'm too full, or I'm just going to pace myself with my meal. I'm not going to make a system for myself, but you know, I'm not going to eat sweet things every day. I'll wait till it sounds like it really calls my name. And I'm more of a moderator, but I also know people who are abstainers and it works very well for them if that fits your personality better. So some people will just say, oh, I never eat dessert except like on very special occasions. Or I always eat protein for breakfast. I never eat sweet things in the morning. So they'll just make, they'll see what works for them. And then they'll make kind of a rule around that. And that feels simpler to them than making a decision in the moment. And many adults use this as a technique to maintain a healthy weight by eating kind of repetitive foods. So they abstain from interesting foods uh, many days of the week 
and then they eat their interesting foods, say, on the weekends. But they have the same breakfast, like, you know, Monday through Friday, uh, or the same lunch. And they just plan very simple things that are easy to be moderate about and are not including foods that would be too tempting for them. And uh, one thing about watching carbs is people tend to get a little overzealous about potatoes and carrots and, you know, root vegetable carbs. I have yet to meet a human who could tell me honestly that they became overweight eating baked potatoes and roasted carrots. Animals get fat on carrots and potatoes, but humans tend to tap out uh, because of the fiber and they fill up much faster than those carbs are going to spike their blood sugar. I do not care what the glycemic index says about carrots or potatoes. There are no humans who sit and eat only carrots or only potatoes and it spikes their blood sugar and they gain weight. So regardless of what the lab tests look like, yes, I will agree that baked potatoes probably do spike your blood sugar, but you never eat the baked potato by itself. You're eating it with fat, you're eating it with steak or chicken or some kind of protein, maybe a salad, and in the context of the whole meal, there is simply no way that it is going to do to your blood sugar what the glycemic index uh, would have indicated. And another concept that people find really helpful with foods is red, yellow, and kind of green light foods. So green light foods, you are never going to be tempted to overeat. There's kind of self-correcting. Most protein foods and most vegetables are like this for people. The vegetables are self correcting because of the fiber, the protein foods are self-correcting because they tend to be so filling. And protein does not really spike your blood sugar. Neither do fibrous vegetables. And then yellow foods are foods that are pretty tasty, a little bit hard to be moderate about, but you can. So maybe these are your favorite dinners where you might be tempted for that second helping of pasta carbonara or chicken parmesan because it's just so yummy. But you're not going to actually completely binge on it to the point that it would be a huge cause of you gaining weight. But you probably know you shouldn't eat, maybe you'd get sick of chicken parmesan if you had it every night. But you know, when you have a good version of it at the restaurant, you're probably gonna eat a little bit more than you need to. So that'd be kind of a yellow food. And then there are other foods where they are just so spot hitting that you're very tempted, almost guaranteed to overdo it in spite of feeling yucky. And for me, there's a couple of candies like this that I simply don't buy at the store because they are so difficult to be moderate about because I find them so, so amazingly delicious. So Swedish fish with that invert sugar that's kind of like crack and uh, those fruit gels, the square ones from Trader Joe's, are so, so good. So I only buy them a couple of times a year. And also those dark chocolate peanut butter cups. There's probably a few other things. Sour Patch Kids are a little bit like this. So, you know, whatever kind of candy or sugar cereal it is that calls your name, there's probably something for everybody. We live in a first world country full of fabulous food options. So 
for all of us, there's probably many things that are simply a bit too much for our taste buds. They're hard to be moderate about. So I don't buy those things. There's also things like cookies from the store, like the Trader Joe's cookies that are actually pretty good that I don't buy because they're not so amazing like the fruit jellies. But I know from experience, if they're in the house, I will be tempted to eat them and I totally don't need them and I don't miss them if they're not there. And that extra hurdle of having to make the batch of cookies helps us to not eat so many cookies. I don't want it to be that convenient to pop a cookie. So just be aware of that emotional aspect of eating. Take your time, find the right baking level, and don't buy the things at the store that will tempt you beyond your planned (laughs) reasonable meals, beyond your level of self-control. It doesn't matter if your kids like them. Your kids can you can buy them when you're going somewhere on a trip and only and your kids will eat them all before you have a chance to be tempted. It's very different in certain circumstances from buying them when you're going to bring them home and have them sitting on your counter. Now, lastly, about exercise. The moms I know who look the best after lots of kids are not spending an hour or two a day in the gym. They're not interested in committing that much time and uh, they just mostly don't commit that level of focus to it. An hour is probably the most I'm hearing from women uh, about their exercise routines. And so in many cases, it's just walking, which is not a huge calorie burner. I think of walking more as lymphatic movement and stress relief and relaxation than a calorie burning activity. You can moderate yourself to eat 300 less calories by not eating that scone in the middle of the morning. And then you could technically skip your walk, right? Except the walk is providing all of these side benefits. So the walk is for your mood, it's for your emotional control, It's for your discipline. It's for getting some space. It's for your lymphatic system and your stress. It is not primarily a calorie burning activity. But exercise does have a really important effect on moderating and clarifying our appetite. In many cases, it clarifies the difference between hunger and thirst. And it helps us to want more real food rather than just fun food. And other than walking or a little bit of jogging from the more motivated moms I know, many of them do some little thing like core workouts. You know, they have a Pilates routine they like. They might lift some arm weights. They might use their husband's weight set in their garage uh, and do some kind of, you know, less intense version of that or the same version if they're really into it. And perhaps they take the stairs, or even if you have stairs in your house, this is a big help. Um, Perhaps they walk the dog. There are lots of ways to have little bits of movement in your day. For some people, they love gardening and, you know, using the wheelbarrow and digging and all of that is really good for certain muscle groups that you're not going to be exercising just carrying around a baby. Some people take house cleaning as a real exercise routine 
they put on some power music, they put on their workout clothes, they do squats while they're, you know, cleaning the baseboards, and they kill two birds with one stone. And that is most definitely a real workout. Um, If you want to just have that kind of muscle tone in your 30s and 40s that you naturally have in your 20s, you'll probably need to do some lunges, some squats, and lift some arm weights because your baseline muscle tone will not be as high as you get older because your hormones are lower and your hormones are a big part of what keeps your baseline muscle tone when you're younger. The other aspect of keeping your baseline muscle tone is getting an appropriate amount of protein, which tends to be a challenge for women and is another reason to get some exercise because it improves your appetite. When women are just sitting, they often are not that hungry for protein foods and therefore they have a really hard time eating enough protein to help maintain their muscle mass. And it's not just a question of having like an egg or two at breakfast. Research indicates that ideally you get a kind of dump of protein in the morning and a dump of protein in the evening. So at least 30 grams at once if you can. I'm not always hungry enough to eat three eggs and a sausage in the morning, but when I am, I do. So if you default to eating a big chunk of protein when you have the appetite or eating as much protein as you have the appetite for, you are going a long way to maintaining your muscle mass, your skin tone, um, and your the thickness of your hair, the function of your thyroid, and your metabolism overall. Now, in general, you don't want to commit to some kind of exercise that's really extreme. It's really tempting to have a short-term gain. <clears throat> it can be kind of fun to look good for a special event, but it's also sad to revert to a baseline if you we're doing something that was too intense to be really sustainable. And this is just something that everybody has to navigate as they get older. I see people get into running or some new sport in their 40s sometimes when their kids are a little bit older and they can get a little more time and space to to exercise or try something new and challenging. And that can be really helpful. And If you are able to just build little bits of movement into your day by increased gardening or deep cleaning or walking the dog, that's all going to add up. But the main thing is really your mindset, pacing yourself through meals, making sure you're hydrated, because you don't want to be trying to out-exercise a poor diet or a bunch of emotional eating, particularly as you get older. Lastly, and maybe most importantly, is sleep. Sleep changes how you process carbohydrates. It changes your signals for hunger and fullness. And I think most of us have experienced this. You will tend to be more hungry and less easily satisfied when you are underslept. You might wake up wanting junk food instead of healthy food for breakfast. And it is harder to tell when to stop. And I find myself getting pretty munchy when I'm tired. I will do more, I will tend to do more idle eating when I'm tired if I don't keep myself busy in some other way. And of course, you will tend to be less motivated to exercise when you're tired. 
and I'm already not super motivated on my own because there are so many other things I like to do. And so being rested is an additional aid to having enough energy to be actually doing the exercise, the movement that you have the time to do. And then another aspect of sleep is, of course, that all your hormones will be more balanced, which is part of maintaining a normal weight, and your impulse control will be much, much better because your prefrontal cortex got what it needed, everything got cleaned out while you slept your full stretch of seven to nine hours. Sleep also, of course, helps you look so much better, uh, so much more rested, and just actually have a genuine smile when you wake up in the morning. So this can be a real challenge with little people who are going to interrupt your sleep, but often we women make it worse because we go to sleep anxious, anticipating when we're going to be woken up. And we go to sleep later than we could because we are desperate to have some time that's just our time. So once the kids are in bed at 8 or 9, adults will then stay up till 10 or 11. Now, a bunch of the moms I know who are not overweight after having 8 or more children simply go to sleep when the kids go to sleep. They go to sleep at 8.30 or 9. And maybe that some of the teenagers even stay up a little bit later. But they lock down the internet and just call it a night. They're not watching a movie or a show every night. And then they wake up in the morning refreshed and have enough energy for exercise. I knew a mom who did like to watch her show to relax. That was one of her main things she did to kind of check out from mom life and get a brain break, which was very important. And she would watch a show while the kids napped. Well, and she laid down. So that was her solution. Then she wasn't tempted to stay up too late. And she knew from experience that she wasn't going to sleep while the kids slept because she wasn't really a daytime napper person. But she did enjoy checking out um, by watching a 45-minute show. And so I would encourage you to consider watching something during the day. Um, if it's a question of staying up late to spend time with your husband maybe once or twice a week, but not every night. You guys could stay up late. There are so many ways to compromise that such that you both get enough sleep because probably you both could go to sleep and wake up early and have quality time in the morning when you're both fresher and you can chat hopefully before all the kids are up. Even if one kid's up, <laughs> if they can if they can understand to not bother you, or if you have rules about what time they get to come out of the room, you can still get a little bit of time to yourselves. Um, the other thing is, of course, anticipating being woken up at night. Many nights you are going to get woken up. But if you go to bed on the early side, you've gotten a bigger chunk of sleep before somebody wakes you up to nurse or because they have a nightmare or whatever it is. And so you've gotten your first high quality chunk of sleep with the deep sleep ideally before anybody wakes you up and if you have a nursing baby and you go to sleep when that 
nursing baby goes to sleep, they often sleep a four or five hour stretch at the beginning of the night and then they wake up every two hours after that. And that's a little bit of a running joke with me and moms I know that are falling asleep with the baby. The husband's a little bit sad, but the wife is rested in the morning. And if you fall asleep at 8.30 and the baby sleeps till 2, then you also get to sleep till 2, which is pretty amazing. Um, and the research on sleep indicates that that first chunk of the night is more of the deep sleep. The second chunk of the night is more of the REM sleep. And so I think of the deep sleep as the part that helps you feel rested enough to actually just wake up and get through the day. The REM sleep seems to help us organize our thoughts and clean out our brain so that we make better decisions. You can live without as much of that. You won't feel your best. But if you get a chunk of sleep when the baby gets the chunk of sleep, you will feel better and it won't bother you so much to be woken up at 2 and 4 and 5.30. Definitely remember those days. And so again, if you can figure out some other way besides staying up late to get the time to yourself or the time with your husband, try to figure that out. So you're not staying up late every single night. The main reason that people seem to lose sleep is not that there's a war on, not that their kids have the stomach flu, not that they're taking care of an aging relative and there's some kind of you know electrical outage or some true crisis. It's just not wanting to go to sleep because it feels so depressing to not get quote-unquote adult time. So just reconsider that perhaps the best use of your adult time is to get sleep. You will feel much more like an adult in the morning if at least a few nights a week you just let yourself fall asleep early when you're first actually tired instead of continually pushing yourself into your second wind and then taking all the downstream metabolic consequences of that extra cortisol that you ordered by staying up later, um, maybe getting munchy at 10 o'clock at night, etc., etc. So I hope this is a good overview of a lot of different techniques to help maintain a certain level of fitness a certain weight within kind of your normal range without a ton of time, without anything extreme. I've been trying to outline all the sustainable big picture practices. And what it looks like for you in the details, it might be different from somebody else. But if you can pick the person's brain who has this figured out and seems to know what they're doing and ask them what they do, you'll often find really great ideas. I've heard moms say things like, oh, I just don't eat bread. I don't like it that much. I don't need the carbs. I eat other things. Or I go to sleep and the baby sleeps. Or I don't eat dessert. I don't eat after dinner unless I'm nursing, you know, a baby this age that needs extra calories. Or I always drink water before I decide what to eat. People come up with all sorts of good systems for themselves that help help them have the time and space to take care of themselves and help them to clarify what they're needing in that moment. 
whether their body needs water or protein or rest or just some kind of brain break. So whether or not you care about looking at a certain size or fitting into some outfit that you bought 10 years ago, in a sense, that's just gravy. The main thing you can get out of all these techniques is feeling your best, feeling energetic, being really present for the people around you because you don't have that background feeling of yuckiness or that background headache or fatigue most of the time. And you have enough energy to choose the right foods that suit you, that are satisfying, that keep your blood sugar steady. You have the energy to pick out a cute outfit and have the smile to go with it. So good luck, moms. I know it's a challenge to navigate figure all these things out, but you totally can do it. This is Jen with Bright Families. Take care.